0: Uh, always very blessed with great guests on the Press Box, but this week it's uh, it's only timely to we get this man on. He's a five-time Olympian. He's a seven-time NBL MVP and a two-time champion as well of the league. He's a superstar. He's known as The Goat. I don't know if he likes that nickname. Maybe we'll have to find out if he does. His name is Andrew Gaze, and what a week it is for the great man. Andrew Gaze, welcome to the Press Box.
1: No problem. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Mate, do you like the nickname The Goat before we go any further? Wow! <laughs> well, I've been called a hell of a lot worse. I'll do the job, but
1: no, I think that it's it's just one of those things. that's being around, and it, um, I'm uh, realistic enough to know that there is uh, a few a few ahead of the queue. But um, any time anyone wants to throw it around, uh, I appreciate it, but um, yeah, I don't don't have too much impact.
0: <laughs> I love it. Now, uh, of course, massive week on Saturday night. One of the more memorable nights, probably of your life and many of ours around the country. The Boomers finally secured. A, uh, a medal at the Olympic Games, 65 long years. Now, I want to get your thoughts throughout this quick chat, if we can, around how you felt on the night because we saw your emotions over poor, but also what it just means to you overall and maybe even your family and, and the rest of us in Australia because it was an amazing night.
1: No, it was. I, I think for the entire, in particular, the, the entire basketball community, it was the fulfillment of a long, long-term goal. And... Um, I, Obviously, everyone was very proud of our team and those that perhaps don't follow basketball fully appreciate and recognise that any time you win a medal at the Olympic Games, it's something special. Mm. But uh, for those within the basketball community, um, it had that extra meaning, particularly for those of generations gone by that perhaps didn't have the same resources, had this goal at a time when, when realistically that it was one that was going to take um, decades to fulfil, to finally see it come to fruition, I think, means a, a lot. And for me, growing up in an, uh, in a family that was very much part of the development of the game, primarily because of my dad, but also his brothers and his mum had various roles in, in the sport, it took on uh, perhaps a little bit more significant. One of the reasons why I got so emotional is because I understand uh, a lot of the other things that go into building a, a uh, an environment here in Australia with, which allows for a result like this, the, the blood, sweat and tears that go into constructing uh, facilities, uh, developing competitions, how we can educate uh, everyone what basketball is about. Those types of things are, are labour intensive and take long, long times to, to have an impact and to finally see, in particular, those that are still around that, that had that goal and had that ambition a long time ago to finally get there means a little bit extra.
2: Casey, what does this achievement mean for the little boys and girls sitting at home watching the Boomers perform and bring home a medal? What does it do for them, the next generation of basketballers coming through?
1: Well, we've been really fortunate with basketball because our Opals have had enormous success at the Olympic Games, and I think that we've seen through their success that uh, the impact that it can have in just that that. that, that Bottom of the pyramid. Uh, you only you only get to those types of uh, elite level performances when you've got a a really strong, fundamentally sound base to the to the sporting pyramid. Very rarely, you know, I can't think of too many where you just get a random situation where a sport can just come along and and have elite level success without having that uh, that um, that pyramid in place and. I think um, what it does is it, it, it game will inspire a lot of youngsters to to pick up the game, to look at the game, and, and have a, a a real something really tangible that they can look at to say that if you are dedicated, you are um, you do have a passion for it. Then there is a pathway there within Australia that allows for this type of reward, and that is success at the highest level. So I think that that, that it does uh, tremendous benefits for for growing the game and, and whether it's a local council just um and arming about building a new facility um, whether it's a mum or a dad thinking about well what could my pathway be for my son and my daughter yeah. then it, I, I think it really does provide a, a level of inspiration that can only be healthy for the game.
0: Yeah, Casey with the um, amount of youth um, sort of coming through and the amount of talent that we've got coming through do you think this is the first of probably many medals for the Boomers? Ooh. I
1: think so I, I think that If you look over the last few um, decades or say if you go back over the last five or six uh, Olympic Games and even prior to that, uh, the five or six before that when when I was fortunate enough to be involved, we've been very, very close for a long period of time. And some would suggest that, well, this is, um, if it weren't for a bit of bad luck along the way, we would have already had this moment. And you get to that point sometimes where you think, well, maybe there's some sort of curse or something on us and we just can't get over the hump. But um, but certainly we've been at the absolute pointing end for a long period of time. And when you look at our players that are competing here in Australia, in our NBL, um, in the in the NBA, and also over in Europe, we've got Australian players playing at the highest level and not just playing, they're, they're doing really, really well. So there's no reason to think why... We can't continue to put ourselves in a position where we are competing for medals, and 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 realistically, as it was uh, in Tokyo, realistically be thinking of of gold medals. Mm. And when we're 15 points up, half through the second quarter against the United States. <laughs> there's some fairly good evidence to say we're not far off it.
0: Oh, that was one of the more challenging parts, I think, of the Olympic Games, and maybe we'll touch on that here. How that moment maybe it was a it was a trigger moment it was a it was a crossroad moment as well for our boomers they could have gone into that break really really confident but they let a little bit of momentum slip through at the end of the half for the americans and from there it was they were a freight train they couldn't be stopped was there was it always inevitable they were going to come at us or was there a moment in time in that semi-final where you just felt like the the us had a grip on us and we were we were no chance
1: Yeah, well, you're always hopeful, and and I guess when you're emotionally attached like I and other former boomers and those that are are close to the team are, you're always hopeful, and and certainly when the team was 15 points up, you started a dream of something very special. Uh, We always knew that the United States were going to come, and, and as we were commentating, Bogues and I were commentating during that period, it was a period when the United States, things weren't, going well for them. They weren't playing well both offensively and defensively, and we were fortunate enough to, to take advantage of that. Uh, there was a timeout with about five to go, mm. five or six to go in the, in the second, and from that point on, there was a noticeable change, in particular on the defensive end of the United States, and there was a feeling that um, you know we're going to have to do something to be able to weather this storm, but unfortunately, it wasn't the case. But, but still, I think that whether it's that game or what we saw when Australia actually beat the United States in Vegas in the pre-games tournament, there is enough indication to, uh, to and, and evidence to, to suggest that uh, on a given time, we are now in a position where we can cause what would, would still be an upset, but it's not a, a fanciful dream anymore. It's something that, that uh, yeah, certain things have to go right for us, but it's not... As something that's completely beyond our reach.
0: Yeah, Gazy, you mentioned um, commentating as well. How much fun did you have during that time? Because you <laughs> created a lot of great moments for all of us um, back home watching. Yeah, it was
1: great. We loved it. I love um, sitting alongside Bogues, who has a, a view on the game, and um, John Casey, who's the core the that's been around a long, long time. And um, to, just to, to be with those guys and hearing the different ways in which they will interpret stuff going on, uh, it was it was it was heaps of fun and bouncing off boats and, and um, uh, you know some of the light-hearted moments along the way as well. And uh, but but you really enjoy. I really enjoy the um, the, strate- the strategy of the game as well and the way in which you see with the different teams the way they go about it. So. Uh, you know, it's heaps of fun, and, and hopefully people enjoyed it. And we we sort of commentated I guess, uh, selfishly because it's the things that we're focusing on. But hopefully um, there was some enjoyment, and we enhanced the game, and and try not to. Detract from it, that's
0: for sure he Certainly did And um, the big screen as well What was it like watching the game on those well, sorts of screens? Well, before
2: you go on with this question <laughs> Dale, who's not here, he's sick at the moment And he'll be listening to this right now yes. He likes to call it the caravan yeah. <laughs> When 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 the NBL M- commentators commentate games from uh, away from the actual yeah. uh, court itself He calls it the caravan What was it actually like calling the games from a big screen? Well,
1: we, we, we were in these little uh, cubicles. They were, um, they kind of look like in the studios at Docklands in Melbourne. Uh, there was probably, I reckon, there was probably eight little. Imagine you know storage containers. Imagine them oh, no. fully fitted oh, out with <laughs> that. Like,
2: they fed you in there, didn't they? They came and gave you food. <laughs> and, you know, make sure you're okay. <laughs> yeah, There's yeah. a two way entry, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no
1: that, well, that's right. But they were those that had special sound things added to them, and um, they like like um, maybe that's a bit extreme. But maybe if you imagine caravans just playing caravans in this in this hub. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we'd go in there, and, and yeah, there was a couple of monitors, but it wasn't overly sophisticated. It had exactly what you need. You could, there was a monitor that you could watch the game, and and then, of course, there was um, statistical data that was presented. That on occasions we had a couple of occasions where it uh, was a bit delayed, so that made it a, a bit of a challenge. But um, but yeah, it wasn't overly sophisticated. Where the real super-duper technology kicked in is on the other side of where those little caravan areas are was the main studio, and they had that massive wall screen that if you oh, saw yes. the Shinya <laughs> programs I was on, <laughs> now that was something extraordinarily special. But uh, but I guess for, for me in particular, and Kate, it was a little easier because the NBL... Um, we, they've been broadcasting from a hub the last couple of years. It's not the same as being at the game, but it's um, but it's still it's not as difficult as what I think a lot of people um, would think. It's you uh, know you know you're in a, a quiet room and you, you're sort of focusing on what's what's on the screen and not not on other things. And most of the time that's a good thing because that's what the 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 viewer is watching anyway. But um, you know we would love to have been there, but circumstances clearly didn't allow that to happen. And and it was an incredible hub because we're all in that one area. So you'd be walking around the hallways and you'd, your speed there and you'd be able to touch base with him about the, <laughs> the swimming and uh, so Dave Colbert's there and Bruce no, McEvaney's good. there to bounce off good information about the athletics. So it was a really, really fun place to be.
0: Now, your call team was we, – we put a little conversation into our podcast last week about – the best call teams on the seven Olympic coverage because it was an out- it was an all-star lineup you guys and that they- I loved how every sport had a real specialized and really high expert field um, placed in the commentary positions for each each event which I thought was fantastic you got to call alongside the best I reckon in my opinion basketball caller in our country John Casey you had yourself one of the best um, specials and bogues who is new to the caper and I must say he's outstanding we might talk about him later but I wanted to ask you who out of all the other combinations, would you have loved to have called with, if you got a chance to call with someone, any sort of sporting event you liked during the Olympics, who would you have loved to have sat alongside with the mic?
1: Well, I've had the privilege of sitting alongside the great Bruce McEvaney, and no matter what the sport is, he's able to find things and um, highlight certain aspects, which is a unique skill. And he can do it in so many different events, uh, and and he's been he's called so many different events. In fact, I can still remember back in the early late '80s, early '90s, Bruce McAvaney on the uh, Channel Seven coverage on a, uh, a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday night, calling a lot of the basketball uh, games no alongside, alongside Bill Palmer, and oh. um, so. so I think with Bruce and and having worked alongside Bruce, I, I did the opening ceremony in Rio with him, and I did the closing ceremony with him in in Athens, and um, just sitting uh, with him and talking track and field, or and and how inquisitive he is about all different sports. He's one that you, you it is a, a huge treat and an honour to be sitting alongside him.
2: Now, Gazy, when I think of great Australian men's basketballers, I think of Andrew Bogut, I think of Luke Longley, and I think of yourself. Where does Paddy Mills <laughs> rate amongst yeah. all of you?
1: Well, well, I don't necessarily get too caught up in in rating anyone. I just appreciate them for what they've been yes. able to do, and and certainly Paddy has been extraordinary—not just what he does on the floor, but also off the floor. The way he represent represents us. Uh, when he's playing in the NBA is nothing short of fantastic. He wears his heart on his sleeve. he he I guess he has a very strong commitment to uh, making sure that indigenous causes are front and center with everything he does, um, but not certainly at the exclusion exclusion of the rest of the country. and I think he handles himself and contributes in so many different ways and uh, certainly, with his performances for Australia. You, in London, I think he was the leading scorer for the tournament, second leading scorer in Rio, and um, drops 42 in which has become the most significant basketball game in Australian basketball history. He's had a, uh, an unbelievable impact on his performance, but also with the culture of the team. Mm. You see the way in which he embraces all the team, uh, brings them all together. Uh, you know he's done some uh, a lot of things that many people wouldn't be aware of, and just very proud of the way he's been able to do it, and, and um, is certainly one of the all-time greats of Australian basketball.
0: I want to go back quickly to the uh, the TV side of things as well, Gazy. In terms of you and uh, Mari and uh, Lisa Stolaker doing a great job with the the late night yeah. Shinyar program. Now you look like you had a lot of fun with that, and can I be honest? A lot of people who tuned in. Absolutely loved tuning in because it was just a it was a highlight of the night. You got a lot of fun and, and you got to see the highlights of the Games. But have you ever considered, surely, being a part of uh, having your own TV show of some sort, Because <laughs> you are a star. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no well, I, it's funny because um, with that program, it was only probably three or four days before the Olympics started that I was invited to or asked to, to be a part of it. Oh. Uh, originally, the show was going to be... Andy and Lisa, but because of COVID, Lisa lives in Sydney. Yeah. She couldn't get down to Melbourne, and they thought, well, just Andy there with Lisa on the, the screen may not be, be enough. And uh, oh, I've been around a while, so I appreciate where I sit in the hierarchy of things, and <laughs> clearly when you're getting at the call three or four days before the, uh, the show's supposed to start, there was probably a few others that said no before me. Might have been down the list a little bit, I don't know. Uh, it might have just been just one of those quirky things but but um but no it was it was great the people at channel 7 uh, really made us feel comfortable and, and, and gave us uh, a very sort of broad overview of what the, how they wanted the show to look and pretty much left, left us to our own devices you know it was one that was going to be on after most of the events had finished and they wanted to be uh, able to to show some of the highlights but also present in a way that was less Less official, so mm. I think we I think we ticked those boxes, oh, yeah.
2: um,
1: and and you know we along the way we tried to not take ourselves too seriously and have a bit of fun, and and uh, it was always hard for Lisa, and, and it took a probably I think a, a few nights for us to get familiar mm-hmm. with how and which we interact with her because when you got someone on a screen there, it's not easy yeah. when you got two. Right there, um, in, you know, that, that, that have that contact. So it was a little hard, but I think we found the mix, and I really appreciate the feedback because it, <laughs> it was, um, you know, it's one of those ones that you, you never really know, but uh, but certainly we um, we we got some nice nice feedback off social media, and it was. Uh, it was a fun program to be involved
2: in. Now, Gazy, some of our listeners might actually know you from The Bounce. What's it like oh. working alongside Jason Dunstall? <laughs> and it's a completely uh, a different topic and different sport.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we, we operate under the guise of a football show, but it's really um, <laughs> just uh, four blokes having a chat, uh, having some fun and really looking at the lighter side and taking the mickey out of things that are going on. And, you know... Um, Right throughout the country, uh, AFL is is undoubtedly one of the premier sports in, in our country, and it's one that it, – there are – it is a pretty – it's dissected and looked at in a very serious manner. And after you've had all the games, the theory behind it is after all the games and all the serious stuff on a Sunday night, um, before they get into the to the reviews that go on throughout the week, that it's it's pitched to being lighthearted, take the mickey out of it and have some fun – and for me uh, I'm a Hawth- I grew up a Hawthorne fan and it uh, was an incredible admirer of of jason dunstall and uh, to be able to sit alongside one of the all-time great AFL players and in particular a Hawthorne player it's a i always it's a huge honor and um you know the other guys on there are great as well superstars of the game and it's just uh I, we just have a bit of fun and we um the the objective is is to Try and take the P1 double five out of as many people as we can, and in particular ourselves. So, um, so yeah, it's been going. I think it's been going about twelve years now. So it's a long, long time. I've been fortunate enough to be there nine or ten years. So it's it's a little unusual in in television to have shows go that long. But um, but yeah, we're lucky that it's got a a, a good band base, and, and we have fun, and we really enjoy ourselves.
0: Now, the on Bounce, um, I was speaking to a friend of mine the other day who uh, brought up your name, and they only recognised you as a footy personality. <laughs> That's, right. Um, That's so, right. So how do you feel about that and just being yeah, recognised as now a footy personality rather than yeah. for your basketball? Well, I guess it comes back to uh, what we were
1: talking about before in regards to the position of basketball and the status of basketball because 11 years ago, I remember I was on a show called Dancing with the Stars. And that was back in uh, 2006, I think it was, or 2007. I'd been out of the game for about two years. And I still remember, and, you know, that's a show at the time, was being watched by 1.2, 1.3 million people every week. (laughs) So I remember at the time walking through the streets and, um, you know, you think, well, you've been around, you've been to five Olympic Games and you've you've, um, played basketball at the highest level for 40-odd years. Uh, it's always a bit of a setback when you're walking down the street and you see the, the little kid with his mum, and he's there, and as you walk by, they say, oh, there's the Goofy bug from Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> so, so it's kind of the same with a footy, that if they're not, um, not accustomed to the, to the sport of basketball, then they might recognise you as something else. And uh, I get more people walking down the street now yelling at, Hello, that's not enough, Katie. Then I do is uh, Andrew James the, the, the basketball olympics. So, but that's okay. Hopefully, through being involved in those uh, other areas, it uh, it may actually uh, introduce others that haven't in the past to the game of basketball.
0: Oh, we love that. Now, one of your uh, great achievements was heading to the NBA. We have to mention Paddy Mills. Uh, and his mega deal, he's heading now to the Brooklyn Nets for, what is it, $12 million yeah, or something bucks, over yeah. two years? Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine that kind of money. Um, can you walk us through, uh, I mean, what that kind of move is going to mean for him as a player now into one of the, 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 the biggest teams in the league right right now, one of the powerhouses?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, It's and the world they live in is, is something that, us, mere mortals, it's hard to uh, comprehend. But um, you talk about a me- mega deal at twelve million bucks, six million bucks a year. I actually think it's probably unders really <laughs> for what he yeah, what he brings to the team. Um, and and it, I, it's probably more about him um, having choices and and maybe settling for an organisation where he feels the fit is right and also a chance to experience another NBA title. Um, so so it is a. It's a huge um, change for him because he's been with the Spurs, I think, nine years. He mm-hmm. was with Portland before that for a short period of time. Been with the Spurs for nine or ten years and won a title with them. So it's mm-hmm. always a, a tough move when your contract's up. And um, But I don't know if you got to see the the uh, the little three-minute video tribute that the Spurs put out there on social media. No. Um, I, I'm a bit of a crier, and even that, uh, <laughs> almost, just watching that sort of I guess shows the love that they have for uh, the San Antonio Spurs have for for Patty Mills, but he's going into a, uh, a a situation that's going to give him the chance to win another title, play alongside he played alongside one of the all-time greats in Tim Duncan, and and um, now he's going to get to do that with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. So it's a fantastic opportunity for him, and and one that uh, he thoroughly deserves. and we hope it all goes well for him.
0: I hope so, too. If he can get a ring, another ring anyway, that would just be remarkable. One bloke who did win a, win a ring in the NBA and, uh, and almost starred in the Last Dance documentary was Luke Longley. Now, he's uh, starred in the, the Australian story on the ABC. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, Gazy, but that story I have put together, it, it's a remarkable yarn. Yeah, it is. Uh, Luke was one that, uh, when he came back and
1: finished his career, he... Um, I wouldn't say he was a recluse, but he he, he wasn't... Uh, he didn't want to be out there in the limelight. He, he, he was like this guy that just wanted to be left alone. And 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 that's fair enough. That's his choice, and we 100% support him with that. But it was one that it was always uh, disappointing because he's just got such a remarkable story to tell. To be the starting centre on a team that arguably is the greatest team in the history of the game that won three NBA titles, that, that Bulls thing, is something that I don't think most people in Australia realise how significant a sporting achievement mm-hmm. that was. And I, I'm, I'm, I've heard a lot of the stories, both from Luke, and I got to play alongside Steve Kerr and, and, and certainly heard a lot of the stories about that time from, from both those guys. And Will Perdue is another one that was there that I've become friends with, with my time over in the States as well. So I'd heard a lot of those stories, but, um, but a lot of people haven't, of course. And The Last Dance gave a really good insight, but from an Australian perspective, as it was noted in that Australian story, uh, Doco Luke wasn't deleted from it, but he certainly, I don't think, got the recognition that he deserved mm. for the role he played. And I'm so happy for Luke that they've put this really classy um, presentation together that gives him a chance to tell about his perspective on that that uh, Chicago's bull run because it is it is a different perspective to what Michael had and Scotty had and all those other superstars, mm. um, but still a, a very significant one of the challenges that they faced and the journey that they went on. So it's I recommend everyone spend a couple of hours and watch it because uh, it's a great story about a unique guy that's done some incredible things representing us Uh, in the United
0: States
2: now guys as we mentioned before unfortunately our man Dale Fletcher couldn't be here for this (laughs) interview which is unfortunate but while he's not in the room I wanted to I wanted to ask you how much did he pester you this season for (laughs) NBL tips because it's all he banged on about for a while
1: (laughs) no we need more we need more blokes like him and people like him because um, I'm happy to be pestered when people have got a love for the game and are trying to um, put forward stories and tell stories and and uh, inform the the community of of uh, about the league, about our national team, about anything to do with basketball. Always happy to to um, have those conversations. So I, I wish you'd pester me more um, because it, it is he's doing a great thing out there uh, help
0: promoting our, our game mate uh, we thank you so much we've pestered you for long enough and uh, we can't wait till you're back in the cubicle or the caravan or whatever we're calling it now on the show <laughs> mate uh, you did an outstanding job with Seven over the last couple of weeks we thank you for your time tonight on the press box mate the boomers are making history and, uh, and we're so bloody proud of them
1: uh, so, yeah, hopefully we all are and uh, thanks very much I appreciate it